I became a Christian on February 26, 1995. Again, I've mentioned here in a few weeks I'll be sharing my full testimony. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it all starts with salvation. We were talking, I was talking to Miss Anna uh, before the service, and we were talking about wanting to join the church, and I said, well, here's the people that join this church, people that are saved and baptized in deep water after salvation and want to join, amen? If you're, if you're not saved, listen to me, heaven is not your home until you make it your home. And here's the wonderful thing, Jesus will save anybody that will come to him honestly. I'm so glad about that. But I say that to say today's message is really for Christians. And if you're not a Christian, you need to be a Christian. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You need Christ to go to heaven. Our title today <clears throat> is The Tragedy of an unsurrendered Christian life. The tragedy of an unsurrendered Christian life. Has anyone here today, just by way of an amen, ever been witness to or part of a tragedy? Amen. I think a lot of us have been. Many of us personally <clears throat> go through this life virtually unscathed. But watch in disbelief as those around us are struck by, say, a natural disaster. It's amazing if you've ever seen the pictures of tornadoes going through. It's amazing how a uh, pastor, one, one house can be completely gone. And the one right next to it, completely untouched. I think about a travel mishap. Just yesterday, we were so privileged to host, and I want to thank those of you that were here from our church. We hosted the funeral of Amar Harrell. There was 500 people in this auditorium yesterday. Balcony was full. What happened, Amar was just 19 years old, and he was uh, just graduated from Jackson High, popular football player, basketball player, wonderful young man, and he died in a car accident at 19 out on Territorial Road. I think about the tragedy of a terminal illness. I think about, you know, something that just the, the older I get and the more I see it as a pastor, I think about Alzheimer's and dementia and how, how a, a tragedy that is. That people could be married together for 60 and 70 years, Brother Jeff, and not even know each other. Not, that person doesn't even know this person that's caring for them and loving them. and That's a tragedy. I think, of, again, mentioning this, but sudden death. Sudden death. No matter the age, sudden death. It's tragic. It's terrible to be part of a tragedy or be a witness to a tragedy. Our context today is found in... Matthew chapter 24 and 25, it is commonly called the Olivet Discourse or Jesus' Last Sermon. Uh, really the key is found in chapter number 24, verse number 3, and it says, And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, his disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, 
when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world and as something is important in bible interpretation and bible hermeneutics you you need to ask yourself not only what was what was written but who was this written to and this was written to the to the jew to the israelite amen and it would be verse 2 of of chapter 24 would be significant uh, to the Jew, and that is uh, there where it says, "And Jesus said unto them, See not all these, see not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another." It would be significant that Messiah's return would be preceded by judgment upon Jerusalem, which is found in Zechariah chapter twelve and thirteen and fourteen, for. They knew that he was their promised Messiah. As we do so often, they got it mixed up. Amen? We mentioned that in, in our Sunday school class this morning. I, I'm so glad for the times in the Bible where Jesus, I, I think about Luke chapter 8, he gives the parable uh, of the, the seed, the sower, and the soil. And in essence, his disciples say, that's great. I don't get it. Aren't you glad for that? I, I, I am when I read. There are things, things hard to be understood. And there are times when Jesus clearly interprets things. I, I think about that. They, they said, we don't really understand what you're talking about, about the sower. He said, okay, let me tell you about it. The seed is the word of God. You know, our, our church, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I've been blessed in, the, in recent weeks, particularly with the free Bible outreach and then also uh, Civil War muster and Lord willing coming up here on Friday, the Sowing Seeds of Spartan Stadium. We are to be about God's business of sowing seeds. Sow the seed of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit can do amazing things when we sow the seed of the Word of God. And I, I think about that. They got it mixed up here. They, they, they didn't understand the times and the seasons. And so Jesus exhorts them here not to be deceived in verse 4 of chapter 24. And then he warns them of dreadful events, verses 4 through 22 in chapter 24, describing that awful tribulation time, chapter 24, verse 21, there's a consistent theme from, uh, in chapter 24 and chapter 25 for God's people. Again, who are God's people? Uh, Galatians 3.26 says, Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, who were born not after the will of man or of the flesh, but of God. Amen. That's what it is to be born again, to trust Christ as your Savior. So the, the thinking about God's people here is all that is watchfulness. God wants us to be watching, to be on guard to live a life uh, in, in view of his return. Think about that. We're to be watching, praying, faithfully laboring until he returns or until he calls us home. So many today are so busy watching for signs that they forget we're supposed to warn sinners. Hmm? I think about chapter 24, you have uh, verses 32 and 33, you have that super sign. In chapter 24, verses 42 through 
51, you have the, the separate servants. And then chapter 25, you had uh, the varied virgins, the, the parable of the ten virgins. But we come to chapter 25 and verses 14 through 30, and it's, again, commonly called the parable of the talents. And I want to just give you some exposition here and then some application. Number one, notice with me the master's generosity. The master's generosity. We see it in verses 14 and 15. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents and to another two and to another one. Can we say this here? This, this master, he delivered unto these servants his goods. They were his. I've said this to my children and to others through the years. You know, those of you that work a job and you have a boss, you know, we just lost Mr. Perry uh, who owned Lynn Air for all those years. Can I tell you this if you work a job? You know what your job is to make money for your boss? That's what your job is. Because you know what happens if he doesn't make money? The factory closes, the office closes, and nobody has a job. And so I think about, we, we get a little ungrateful in our society when, when we get treated wrong. We're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 5, and it tells us to, be, to servants be obedient to your masters, not just to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. We, we labor as unto Christ, amen, is what it tells us there. I remember years ago interviewing for a secular job, and the, the, the president of the company asked me, he said, how much shall I pay you? And that's an interesting question. I knew I should have said a million bucks, Brother Al, but I didn't, amen. And I said, well, listen, if you'll, you know, you, I'll, I'll work, I'll give you an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. I thought that was the right answer, and I thought it was, and he did too. But I remember saying to him specifically, saying, now listen, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a preacher, I said, the truth is, I don't work for you. I work for Christ. And because I work for Christ, I'll do a better job for you. Amen? And so here we, we see the master's generosity. This, <clears throat> this man trusts his servants, his servants, with his material. With, we, obviously, we know this is wealth in particular, but I think about it just by way of application, ladies and gentlemen. Our master has been generous to give us gifts and talents and abilities in our lives. He's been generous. Uh, the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father above, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That means if you have a gift, God gave it to you. I, I mentioned that yesterday. So many uh, folks were kind at that funeral yesterday. And, and uh, uh, the, the, there was a, a, a high, uh, different dynamic here. We had lots of African Americans. And it was great. The funeral was great. And I, I got to sing right at the end. And several of the ladies would come up to me and, and being kind, you know, saying, oh, what a great song. You know, thank you so much for doing that. And I, I told a couple of them, I said, you know, when you, when, you're, when you have a gift, it's a sin to hide it under a bushel. I said, don't get me wrong. Some people just love the praise of men. And, you know, that, that's a little different. But listen, if God's given you gifts and abilities, thank God for them. I think about people 
who, listen, we're all commanded to give the gospel to other people. And all God's people said. And by the way, you you can argue with me if you want, but you're commanded to share Christ with people. But the truth is, some people are better at it than others. Some people have a gift of being able to strike up a conversation on anything and then moving it in the direction. Praise God for that. By the way, don't glory in that. How can you glory in something that somebody gave you? God gave, I think about my friend Deke Wetzel. Brother Deke, he's got all those skills about fixing cars. Man, I barely know how to put the key into my vehicle and get it running. Amen. And through the years, Brother Deke has been such a blessing to so many people. And I told him recently, I said, Brother, you use your gifts and abilities to help God's people like that. So many of you have different gifts and abilities. But it's all because of the Master's generosity. So we see the Master's generosity. Secondly, in verse 15, we see the measured gifts. Not only the Master's generosity, but we see the measured gifts. Look there, it says... And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So we see the the measured gifts here. Again, he's trusting his servants with his wealth. I did a little research on this, and again... Not factoring in today's inflation, because I don't want to start a riot in church, amen. Uh, But the man who was given five talents, you know how much that was? That was almost $2 million back then. Two talents was uh, about $770,000. And then one talent would have been almost $400,000 in today's money. Now, here's what I want to say about that. Again, by way of application, the measured gifts, the the key to that is found in the second part of the verse. It says, and he he gave five talents to one, gave another two, and gave another one. To every man according to his several ability. Here's what happens sometimes in, in Christianity. We think, well, I wish I had that person's talent, or I wish I had that person's talent. We see somebody maybe that, that can, can sing in, in, in a special way or, or do something spectacular. And you think, But listen, here's, here's the thing. God is the one who gives the five-talent Christian five talents. He, you may be a four-talent Christian or a three-talent Christian or a two-talent Christian or a one-talent Christian. Again, God is the one who measures the gift and gives them to us according to our several ability. Don't be upset about that. Don't be jealous of somebody else. Amen? Don't be envious of somebody else. The measured gifts. This master knew what he was doing when he entrusted five talents to the one and two talents to the other and one talent. So there's not only the master's generosity, there's the measured gifts. But thirdly, in verses 15 and verse 19, we see the mandated gathering. It says there at the end of verse 15, and this, this master, it says, and straightway took his journey. 
In verse 14, if you look back, it says, The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. Verse 19, it says, And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. You know, many today, especially in the world, do not believe what God says about his return. You read about those false prophets, those scoffers in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 particularly, and it says, where's the promise of his coming? I mean, since, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. They, and they'll, they'll tell us that, that that big bang happened and things are just going as they always were. And you know what, what uh, it says there? It says, hey, remember the words of the apostles, how they told you there would be scoffers in the last days? Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord Jesus, who, well, listen, died on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended up into glory, is coming back. We don't know when. No man knows the day nor the hour. But he is coming back. And I'm telling you, not only is the world living like he's not coming back, but a lot of Christians are living in a way that they don't believe that God is going to judge and reckon with them. you got another thing coming, brother or sister. you got another thing coming. He is going to judge and reckon with his people. And so, we see the mandated gathering. The Lord went on a long journey and returned... And listen, ladies and gentlemen, and demanded an accounting of his servants. Hey, we mentioned before that God's given us all gifts and abilities, and we all said amen. One day, he's going to ask you or demand of you how you use them. Did you use them? I gave them to you, he'll say. What did you do with what I gave you? And again, I think a lot of us don't consider that in the way we live our lives. The judgment seat of Christ. I've never met anybody who truly knew the Bible. We know the great white throne judgment is going to happen right before heaven comes down. Amen. Uh, but... And that is the judgment of the lost, amen? And there will most certainly be weeping and wailing at that judgment, not only by the lost, but by Christians who didn't do their part to warn people. <clears throat> but I've never met anybody who truly knew their Bible and knew the judgment seat of Christ who said, oh, I'm so looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I'll tell you this, it is a time of reward but it's also, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it tells us that we will cast our works into a furnace of fire and some shall suffer loss, yet be saved. As Job would say, by the skin of their teeth. There's going to be a mandated gathering where we're going to stand before God individually. And listen, your mom can't stand for you. Your dad can't stand for you. Great-grandma, who was a great Christian, can't stand for you. You'll have to stand before God yourself. There's a mandated gathering. 
the measured gifts, the master's generosity, and then there's the multiplied gain. Look at verse 16 and 17 with me. It says, Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them, what church? Other five talents. So, what did he do? He doubled his master's investment. Then it says in verse 17, And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. He also doubled his master's investment. And if you look down at verses 20 and 23, it says, And so he that had five talents came and brought them other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside thee five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Boy, I love the fact that that is in the Bible. He didn't say you've been faithful in everything. I don't think any of us could measure up. But he did say, you've been faithful in a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Verse 22, it says, He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Those that had received five and two reported their work, presented it to the master, and when he gave them, they were rewarded for their faithfulness. We all want to hear one day, at least I hope we want to hear one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Can I, again, just admonish you as your pastor this morning, if you want to hear, well done, then it is incumbent upon you to do well with your life, with your decisions, with your talents that God gives you. And if you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, maybe it's time to start being faithful about some of the things of God. I think it starts, to me, listen, it starts with, I always think there's five areas that are the basics of the Christian life. Read your Bible. Starts there. Pray. Amen. Witness. Share your faith with somebody else. Give and be faithful to the house of God. Those five things right there. If you'll do those five things... I can, as your pastor, I'll tell you, I believe you'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, there's more to it than just five. There's a whole lot more to it. But there's multiplied gain. They heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
We see the master's generosity, verse 14 and 15. We see the measured gifts, verse 15. We see the mandated gathering, verse 15 and 19. We see the multiplied game, verses 16 through 17, 20 through 23. And then lastly, and we'll get into our application today, we see the moment gone. The moment gone. Say, what's that? Look at verse 18. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Look at verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went, and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. So picture this with me, ladies and gentlemen. Picture the scene here. Is this man has been delivered a, a Roman golden talent, this, this very expensive piece of, of money and merchandise. And he goes and he grabs a shovel. And he, he takes it and, and he digs and he, and he puts it in the earth and he covers it up and maybe leaves a marker there. And then he hears that his Lord has returned. And he says, oh, I, I, better, go, I better go get that. And, and he goes and he takes that shovel again and he, he digs it up. And, and as the, the man with the five talents is rewarded and then the man with the two talents is rewarded, the man with the one talent comes with this dirty filthy piece of money and gives his report and he returns it to the owner. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. This is a sober thought, but I want us to get it. There will be many Christians at the judgment seat of Christ who did not use their gifts did not use their talents, did not use their money for the cause of Christ, and basically what they're going to be saying, Brother Anderson, well, you can have my life now. Well, it's too late! Your life's over! That man with the one talent represents the Christian who will not surrender their life to God and to the things of God. You know why, listen, you know why we support 64 missionaries? Because the gospel needs to get around the world. You know why we have a free Bibles outreach? Because the gospel needs to get to Jackson. You know why we sow seeds at Spartan Stadium? Because the gospel needs to get to up there, amen? But also beyond that, you know why we support 64 missionaries? So people in this church can have a part in using their talents to be able to get the gospel around the world. We did free Bible outreach. Brother Anderson's always asking for helpers. Why? So you can have a part in reaching people. Why do we have a bus ministry? By the way, I think about that. I thought about that yesterday. I thought about Amar, who, who passed away, 19 years old. His brother Jarrell, his brother Darius, his sisters Kylie and Georgia, they used to ride our bus. Why do we have a bus? Because little boys and girls need to hear the gospel. Why do we have a bus? So that we can pay for fuel and insurance and have a part in it. And use our talents for God. 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Just handing that back like it was no big deal. Can I tell you something? The master, our master, expects his children to gain. I'm telling you, I've tried, I've failed so many times. Failed so many times. But I, I think about different times where I feel like, boy, I've succeeded at one day. One day, you know, you know that old song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. Such a shame what, what happened to that songwriter and he went bad. But the song is still good, Miss Judy. That one day we're going we're gonna to get to heaven and those who did use their talents and their gifts and abilities. And by the way, some of the greatest givers I've ever known were poor people. People that didn't have much. They were like that widow that cast in all that she had. Amen. And one day, listen, we're going to meet people from South Africa that got saved because we gave to missions. We're going to meet, listen, we're going to meet somebody in Jackson. Brother Anderson, we're going to be old men, Lord willing, amen, if the Lord doesn't return. And some, 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 some kid's going to say, you know, we stopped. We just pulled in. And we were so far away from God, and somebody led us to Christ, and, and we started going to church, and now I'm in the ministry. Just because people gave. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. The verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, is a good one. Verse 19 tells us what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have in you, which, which is of God? And it says this. Ye are bought with a price. You're not your own. I hear a Christian say, you know, it's my life, my body. I think, well, I don't think you know the Bible very well. Because it's not your life. It's his life. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we see this moment or opportunity gone. We see the report. We see the return in verse 25. And then we see the rebuke in verses 26 through 30. What's the greatest tragedy of all? The greatest tragedy of all is that someone would die without Christ and spend eternity in hell. That's the greatest tragedy of all. You're trying to, depending on your good works and your baptism, and you fill in the blank, none of that will do. There's only one thing that ever satisfied God for sin, and that's the death of Christ on the cross, and he offers free salvation to everyone who will call upon his name. Hallelujah. But can I say, the greatest tragedy for a Christian is the unsurrendered Christian life. We who have received the gift of life, redemption, eternal life from God, and also given gifts and abilities from Him, and then who have the choice to serve Him, one day our lives and our service to Him will be over. Jesus Himself said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. John 9, 4. 
Work for the night is coming, the, the songwriter wrote. Why? There comes a day when man's work is o'er. We sing a song here. We, we've been studying on prayer for the last uh, six weeks on Wednesday nights. And I always think of that last line of sweet hour of prayer. Uh, sweet, this robe of flesh, one day, this robe of flesh shall drop and rise. And seize the everlasting prize. And shout while passing through the air. Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. Why? Because there's nothing to pray about in heaven. You've got to pray now. There's going to come a day when our work is going to be done. And our generous and gracious master will demand a reckoning at the judgment seat of Christ. And oh, what a tragedy to have lived an unsurrendered Christian life. To think my money's mine. It doesn't belong to the Lord. My little possessions are mine. My life, my time is mine, 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 mine. His, 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 his. And one day, just, just, like, just like that one talent man, you'll be standing in front of God, dirty, knowing that you wasted your life. You know, the older you get, I think the more reflective you get and think, goodness, I have wasted so much precious time in my life. I think about, Pastor, I think about the things that pastors worry about. You say, do pastors really worry? We do, but we preach against it too. We preach against it for you. And then sometimes we do the very same thing. Just being honest, confess your faults one to another, amen. I think about, oh, what time I wasted in worry. And then I go to the scriptures and say, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. But as you go through life, you think, Goodness, how, you know, how much time did I spend trying to reach others and how much time did I spend watching a ball game? Again, there's nothing wrong with watching a ball game. It's a, it's a good down disconnect, amen. But I think to myself, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want my life to be, as it says in Romans 12:1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's, it is reasonable for you and I to surrender our lives to the one who gave his life so that we could have eternal life. Oh, the tragedy of an unsurrendered Christian life. I think of that, that phrase there at the end of verse 25. It's one of the saddest phrases in the Bible. It says, Lo, there hast thou that is thine. Here you go. You can have it back now. It's too late. Now's the time to live for God. Today is the only day we have. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Some of you have been planning to live for God, been planning to be more faithful. Stop planning and start doing. The city of Aachen had been surrounded by American forces during the end of World War II. And Hitler in the Reichstag had sent orders to Nazi commanders to stand and die in the city's defense and fight to the last man. But the American commander had given the city an opportunity to surrender before destroying it. 
Lieutenant General Courtney H. Hodges sent an ultimatum to the Nazi commander and to the mayor of this city of 165,000 souls. Then thousands of leaflets were dropped into the city by shellfire in German, appealing to the troops and citizens of Aachen to surrender and thus prevent needless bloodshed. London, October 10th, 1944, the Associated Press, the leaflets read, Aachen is encircled. American troops surround the city. The German command cannot relieve you. People of Aachen, the time has come for honorable surrender. We Americans do not wage war on innocent civilians. Already many Aacheners are living in peace in areas we occupy. <clears throat> but if the military and party leaders insist on further sacrifice, we have no course but to destroy your city, which has already suffered so much. People of Aachen, there is no time to lose. On our airfields, bombers are waiting for final orders to take off. Our artillery is surrounding the city and ready to fire. Our troops are alerted for the final advance. People of Aachen, act quickly. Go now to those responsible. Make them stop this useless bloodshed and destruction. The time has come for you as a civilian leader to speak boldly. Tomorrow may be too late. People of Aachen, there is only one choice. Honorable and immediate surrender or complete destruction. The Aachener's history would tell us simply waited, lived their lives, chose not to surrender, and oh, the loss and sadness that came to them. People of Loomis Park Baptist Church, the time has come for honorable surrender to the Lord. People of Loomis Park Baptist Church, act quickly. People of Loomis Park Baptist Church, <clears throat> tomorrow may be too late. The tragedy of an unsurrendered Christian life. What am I supposed to do, Pastor? Wave the white flag to God. Say, God, you can use me. I'll serve you. <clears throat> there are things I, I don't, I'm afraid of. There are things I, I, I just feel like I, I can't do, but if you will empower me and help me, my I'll do my best to do them. <clears throat> if it's in your word, I'll try to do it. Try to use the talents and gifts <clears throat> and abilities that you've given to me for you and for your cause. The tragedy of an unsurrendered Christian life. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you.